Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Today, guys, we're talking about all things habits, right? So if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that it's a high probability that you want to do something you haven't done before. Now, we are where we are because of our habits. So we form them unconsciously or we can actually form them consciously. And our next guest today is obsessed with self-optimization. So much so he's got a three-hour morning routine. Now, his struggles over the years with ADHD and exercise bulimia have inspired him to develop something called Focus Bear, the app to keep us on track. Jeremy Nagel, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks, Simon. Good to be here. No worries. Jeremy, tell us, how did you get to this point? You've got an app at the moment. Now, there's a bit of a lead up to this and there's a bit of a story behind it, I'd imagine. So, yeah. Give it to us, mate. Yeah, sure. I, I probably begin when I was about 15. I was at high school at that point at a selective entry school in Melbourne, Melbourne High School, and the, the pressure was relatively high in terms of expectations for academic performance. And I was basically dealing with the anxiety that would come up from that with a few coping mechanisms, which are relatively typical for teenage boys playing a lot of video games and not really actually moving towards where I should be with the study. Yeah. got to a point where that cycle wasn't so good to me and I was looking for an alternative way. So I started getting into running and that worked really well for me. I'd go for a run and I found that that had an excellent effect in terms of your mood. You've probably experienced that yourself because you're getting into marathon training at the moment. Have you had the runners high a bit? Preparing for my first marathon two weeks time. So two yep. weeks out. So yeah, it's uh you do get a massive, you get you get a high from it for sure. So anyone that's yeah. right, I mean, they know what we're talking about. It's it's a pretty cool feeling when you're done. So I can completely understand mm-hmm. how and why you got into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that feeling. And generally that, that helped me get through the high school years. I ended up doing pretty well in year 12. Got a good result there. And then got into university, which was... Overall, a really positive experience, but again, relatively high performance expectations, particularly towards the end in my honours year. And what I found was that my coping strategy was essentially to not sleep very much, drink lots of coffee and go for a run to deal with the anxiety. And the other thing I was doing as well is that, I don't know, it might have started because I was running more and needing to fuel my body more, but I started eating more as well and found that that sort of had a a soothing effect as well, the comfort food effect where you eat something. I used to eat a lot of bread and I'd find that I'd have that. And if I was feeling anxious, that would tend to calm me down a bit. It created a bit of a vicious spiral where I was quite concerned about my weight. I was never overweight, but Mm. concerned about the prospect of that happening. And so it turned into this arms race between my eating and my running where it went from a relatively healthy amount. So when I was in high school, I was running about 10 hours per week, which I think is an excellent amount in terms of being able to access those mental health benefits and the physical health benefits. 
But towards the end of university, I was doing some weeks, 30 plus hours of training, which is really, that's the type of training that you do if you're maybe an Olympic athlete and that's all you're doing in your life. But I had a lot of other things going. And I was also doing it in a way that wasn't that healthy, that there were weeks where I'd injured my knee the week before, but because I couldn't really keep the eating under control, I was going out and training anyway, even though each step was actually quite painful. Basically, I got to a point towards the end of university, I was able to to get through honours, got a, a good result there, and basically felt really burnt out and could see that the way I was going was not sustainable, that if I kept things up, there was going to be a point where I wouldn't be able to exercise enough to deal with the way that I was eating and that the the sleep, lack of sleep and the caffeine was going to catch up with me and cause some negative health effects. I was already starting to feel that, that my digestive system was really suffering and was generally feeling like life wasn't that great, that I wasn't particularly happy most days. I was quite fortunate at that point in, it was in 2012, I joined this social entrepreneurship training camp essentially and I met some people there who were essentially, they were members of this eating disorder support group. And they told me about some alternative ways of dealing with it, which is basically developing positive habits to replace those negative ones that I had developed instead of just relying on running and eating as my way of dealing with my anxiety. Instead, to try meditation, journaling, talking it out with other people. And having that diversity of coping mechanisms, I think that's really key. That helped me a lot. It, it basically meant that I was able to, to put those bad habits down. It didn't necessarily happen overnight. There were probably three months or more where I was still struggling a fair bit. But I eventually, when I had bettered down those positive habits, I was able to, I, I basically, I haven't had those problems with binge eating or doing crazy amounts of exercise since then. Yeah, I still exercise. I, I was talking to you about, I, I'm here right now training for a, a cross-country ski marathon at the end of August. And I love that, but I don't do it when I'm injured anymore. I do it because it's enjoyable and I, I like the feeling of being out in the great outdoors. Yeah, awesome, mate. The cross-key, there's cross, what is it? Cross-country cross ski country marathon, yeah. yeah. Mm. How long is that? It's 42 Ks. It's the same as marathon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In in some ways it's easier. In some ways it's harder. Most marathons are relatively flat. Whereas when you do a a cross-country ski marathon, there's quite a bit of uphill involved as well. There's a a hill here called the Paralyzer, which is about two and a half kilometers uphill at a a 10% gradient. By the end of it, you're pretty flattened. You do also have the downhill to compensate for that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So... I just want to take you back to the habits. Mm. Obviously, like we have, we're an accumulation of our habits. Yeah. Would you agree with mm. that? So where we yeah. are is a result of our habits and what we mm. do every day, which yeah. is habitual. So I've struggled with this myself. So I used to overeat quite a bit and especially, and I used to overconsume. And I, and even at times I still do, you know, I'll get on a, get on a bit of a run and, and overconsume alcohol. It happens a lot less these days but it used to happen quite frequently. Um, so there's a lot of theories out there in regards to how long it takes to eliminate a habit or replace a habit, we should say. So 
just on that, are you a believer that we need to replace habits rather than eliminate them? Hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's that the power vacuum that if you remove something bad, then something else bad might creep in. But if you've already got strong habits in place that can replace what you were doing before, I think it makes it much more likely. I know BJ Fogg has done a fair bit of research around this and his argument around dealing with bad habits is that you should actually ignore them for a while and, and instead focus on creating some healthy habits, potentially in a different area. And once those new healthy habits are set up, then you can start to look at the three triggers for habits, which are basically how easy is it to engage in that activity, how frequently are you being prompted to do it, and how motivated are you to change. And if you can make that bad habit harder to do, if you can reduce the prompts that you have around it, and if you can get yourself into a state of high motivation where you don't want to do it anymore, those three pillars to a bad habit, you can basically knock the legs out from under it and you can have a, a good new habit to replace it. And, and in regards to like replacing it, how long does it take? There's a lot of theories out there. Some people say 30 days, some say 60, some say 90. Is there a fixed amount of time or do you just you go at it from different angles as long as you have to until such time where you just don't even feel the need to, to even want to do that habit anymore? Hmm. My understanding is it's highly variable for the individual. There was an episode on the Huberman Lab podcast where he talked about some research into habit formation. There was a, a habit that the researchers were trying to get people to do, which was to go for a walk after your evening meal, which is probably a good thing to do for digestion. And they found that some people had mastered it within 21 days, that they were just consistently going for that walk. And others, it took them until almost the end of the study, which was a year long. It probably comes down to those three pillars there in terms of maybe the people who it took longer for, maybe it wasn't really that that interesting for them. Maybe they weren't highly motivated or maybe it was quite difficult for them to do it. There might've been a lot of friction associated with going for that walk. Maybe the neighborhood isn't safe after dark and they didn't really want to do it. But if you can, I think BJ Fogg would argue that if you can for a good habit, if you can make it really easy to do initially. So instead of, as an example for me, getting back into running recently, because I had a bit of a hiatus for a while, I, the, the challenge for me is that because I've had a history of like, doing ultra marathons, my head knows that I can run really far and my heart and lungs are still good for it, but I have to really control myself. Otherwise I'm going to give myself an injury. So I built up to it by starting out in January this year. I was just doing five-minute runs, which is ridiculously easy because I, if I wanted to, I, I was occasionally doing, say, 10K runs and it, it wasn't that hard, but I really wanted to have it something that I would do every day. And five minutes is so easy that I can't make any excuses about why I can't make time for a five-minute run. And then the, the idea is that you build from there, that I, I went from five to seven, seven to nine, built it up by two minutes every week and now I'm doing half an hour every morning and that's a good amount for me. I've heard that analogy before and there's a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Now I haven't read that yet. It's, I've actually ordered it and it should arrive this week actually, but I believe he's got a similar concept. Have you read the book before? Yeah. Yeah. So Atomic Habits, James Clear, I think he based it on BJ Fogg's research 
and add a design slant on it. But it's definitely along those lines of going for the minimal effective amount, the amount that you can start off with that's going to be really easy to do. I think James Clear talks about doing two push-ups every day and then you gradually build up from there. The, the argument is that it, I think he uses this analogy of your average speed that you can, it, it might be possible to, to bash out a hundred push-ups in one day, but then you're going to probably be so tired the next day that you won't want to do it anymore and it won't be an enjoyable experience. Whereas if you can do two push-ups, it feels so easy that you don't really have to think about it. And then you build it up over time. And if you increased it by two per day for a year, then you'd be up to a hundred per day in a year's time. And that's really, I think, what it's about in terms of what you referenced earlier, that we are the culmination of our habits, that we want it to be something that we can keep up for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. I remember doing CrossFit years ago. I don't do it anymore these days, but my instructor at the time, he hated challenges and challenges are used to promote results and belief. And I think there's a place for them, you know, like if you've, struggled sticking to anything before what a challenge can do is ultimately give you that belief that you've got the ability to stick to something for a period of time but it just becomes like a sustainability issue and that was his gripe and he would always Mm. say you know you can't you can't do that all the time you've got to create this as part of your lifestyle and you've got to make it part of you and what you do every day so Mm. that theory and what you're saying is um that's what's worked for me more to be honest Mm. because I've been guilty of that before where I've just gone out and it's all or nothing, you know, and you Mm. go flat out for like a month or two maybe and then you're burnt out and Mm. you're worse off than when when you started because then once you're burnt out, you start binging or you start, you know, Mm. doing other destructive things as well. It's just, it's not sustainable. So I think that approach, what you're saying is, you know, is really good. And if if anyone's listening that's struggling with a habit, then, you know, you Tone probably haven't tried. What was that? Tone it down a bit. Yeah, Tone I would down. say so. I mean, it's just, it hasn't worked for me where I've gone all or nothing. It's just small incremental changes over a period of time. And then before you know it, it's just like mm. this compounding effect, you know? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it can feel a bit trivial that, say, doing two push ups a day feels so little that it's worthless, yeah. but it's probably yeah. important to take the long term view. It's not good for the ego, is it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, mate, talk to us about ADHD. Hmm. Yeah, I recently got diagnosed. and It's been something that I've recognized as being a challenge for me over the years. Some of the, the ways that it affects me are that I find punctuality really hard and I find focusing and defocusing very hard where I've done well in the past in terms of academics, I think it's been related to what's called hyper-focus where I get so fixated on one area and I I can make progress there, but then I abandon other areas in my life. And so it's been helpful for me to, to look at how can I channel that in a constructive way that I can, I can still focus on something, but doing it for say eight hours straight is not necessarily healthy. And often the things that I would hyper-focus on, they're not necessarily the things that are the most important. I might end up having this new idea. And even though I've got a lot of other responsibilities that I have, I'll just abandon them, chase after the shiny object. And then often maybe make a bit of progress, but a week later, I've got it maybe 80%. 
that final 20%, that's always been the difficult part for me. And, and some of the, the ways that I'm looking at it are that for me, I've recognized that there's this, <clears throat> it's a technique called body doubling, which sounds a bit like what, say, uh, maybe Nancy Pelosi might have used when she was in a, a, a country recently in danger of assassination, but it's for ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for ADHD sufferers, the idea with body doubling is to have someone with you. And I find that works really well for me that if there's a task that I just can't get myself to focus on, that if I can, sometimes I've hired people to basically, that, that I can, it's called, in programming, it's called rubber ducking, where I just talk to them and explain the process. I, I also do things where I'll record a YouTube video just talking through the process and that aspect of being able to do it not alone, but feeling like there's other people with me, whether they're actually physically present or on a call. There's focusmate.com where you can have someone on a Zoom call with you before you start a difficult task. Either wow. that or, or doing the YouTube video trick. I find that works really well for me. What's that called, that website? Focusmate. Focusmate, okay. You basically you book a time with someone else and you have a, a very short call with them beforehand and essentially state what you're aiming to achieve in the next hour. And then you keep your camera on, don't share your screen, but you come back at the end of the hour and say, I did it. It's just an accountability, having, accountability tool, you'd say, yeah? Yeah, that and also just that feeling of for anyone who's working from home or who's working alone, I find that that can be quite helpful. I think with my my business, it, it ended up going well because I, I recognize that about myself that I don't really get stuff completed on my own. I'm really good at starting things, but I'm not good at completing things. But if I have a team with me, then I can, when I get to that 80% point where I'm bored and I want to move on to something else, I can delegate it to someone else and I can do it with them. And that ends up working well for me. I'm going to put this in the notes, guys, as well. So that will be mm. in there. Um, I just want to ask you on this, what about the cost? How much does it cost? Does it vary or what's the... There's a free plan. I think you get something like four sessions a month for free. Okay. And then oh, yeah. there's a relatively minimal cost above that. It, I haven't looked at it, but I have a feeling it's around the $20 per month for unlimited mm. sessions. And there's actually a person there actually helping you through it, Yeah. Yeah, it's just another person who's got their own work to do. So it's not like it's a, a coach looking at you and yeah. encouraging you through it. It's just a peer, almost like a, a workout buddy at the gym who's yeah, uh, doing their own thing. It's a psychological thing, isn't it? Because like the gym, sometimes that's what it takes. You, know, you bring someone with you and mm. that can be the difference sometimes as well. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. And well, with your so with exercise bulimia, We've spoken about ADHD, but is that something that's diagnosed? Or yeah. Is that, the, yeah. There, there is a, if you go to a psychologist, it would fall into the DSM, I believe. Okay. It's not something that I necessarily, I, I have worked with psychologists, but I found that the support group I was part of provided what I needed in terms of a relatively high degree of support that I was generally talking to people a couple of times per day. And that gets pretty expensive if you're talking to a psychologist that often. 
Oh yeah, yeah, it does. So yeah, it's um it can be a costly exercise to do that. So how has your thinking or the I want to get to that app in a sec as well, but how did you overcome exercise bulimia? Did you is it was it just a habitual thing that you slowly replaced it with different habits? And I know you did that, but how did you do it? Was it through journaling? Was it through some other means like visualization or what sort of tools could you highlight to give people just as a few takeaways if they're, you know, having or experiencing something similar to that? Hmm. Yeah, it, it was similar to what we were talking about before in terms of how to replace a bad habit that I can't, I couldn't just remove the habit on my own. Yeah. That the approach there would be what I'd call white knuckling, where I just try and do it through willpower alone. And if we think about the three pillars, that's the motivation side, but not really doing anything about the the friction aspect or the, the ease. And so what worked for me was being part of this support network where I could talk about the feelings of anxiety that I had and get a basically being able to vent a little bit because okay. I didn't, I had friends, but not really people that I trusted to be able to talk about my deepest, darkest fears, essentially. Yeah. And that made a, a big difference to me having some people that I could confide in and also using the other tools that you mentioned there, meditation and maybe some visualization as part of that occasionally doing some journaling where I would write and I, I still do write every night what went well, what could I improve and trying to be, have a really constructive mindset around it rather than getting into this idea that I stuffed up today and therefore I'm a bad person and developing, maybe that's aligned with the theme of the podcast around limits that it's easy for me to get into a state of limiting beliefs where, yeah. because I have struggled with something in the past that I'm always going to be bad at it. Whereas by doing the journaling in a way where I look at it, sure, I didn't do so well this time, but how can I improve? How can I be constructive about it? That really helped. And how do people get in these circles? Because it can be hard, like your mates and even your family, potentially though, it's not the right environment. You know, it's just this, it just isn't. So how do you, are there groups in particular you can reach out to that, that you know of? Um, is it through the psychologist that you sort of got that help or through some other means that was professional? How did that all come about? Yeah, I'm sure that psychologists would be able to provide referrals. That I think there's a, a wide variety of support groups. There's ones that have, uh, there's one, for example, called Smart Recovery, which is around essentially using a, a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy approach to dealing with addictions. And that that's one that I've explored. And there's other support groups as well that have, say, a 12-step angle, okay. others which are working with a psychologist full-time. Just really depends on which type of group would resonate with the individual. Yeah. Let's talk about the app. That's what I want to know about. So in our discussion offline, you were saying it's live at the moment for Mac, I believe. Is that right? And you're currently yeah. working on it for Windows or a Windows version. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the backstory for the app is essentially to help me with my struggles with focus. I've got the sometimes the body double to help me, but I can't always find someone to sit there with me. So I wanted to essentially build that into my operating system 
that when I start the day rather than what my habit occasionally was, which or not occasionally often was, which was to dive right into emails, really bad way to start the day because <laughs> I'd wake up, check my emails, see something that wasn't so great and then feel pretty bad. So instead, what I wanted was to start the day with some yoga, a bit of high intensity training, some meditation, some journaling, so that I'd be in a really good headspace, that I've got my, my mental energy sharpened, my physical energy high, and I'm able to tackle those challenges. So essentially what the app does is I can't access my email until I've gone through that three-hour morning routine and it wasn't three hours originally. It was when I first started, it was about 20 minutes yeah. and I've added things to it over time. And essentially what happens is I boot up my computer in the morning. I see a friendly bear waving at me saying, these are the activities that you want to do today to get yourself into a, a good, good position. I hit play and then it'll go through each activity one at a time with a countdown timer. And for some of them, I find that for example, yoga, I'm not that good at doing it on my own, but if I have a YouTube video to play along with, I find that really easy and a lot more fun. So it will play a, a random 10 minute yoga video for me and I'll go along with that, get something a bit different each time. I, I, I'm not sure what it'll be. And that's part of the fun of it, that it's a bit random each time. And then I'll do a 30 minute hit session again with a, a video. And then the other ones, say the journaling, I don't have a video because it'd be a bit weird to have that, but just a countdown timer for five minutes and I'll do some free writing. And is this through a desktop, Jeremy, or can you put it on your mobile phone, smartphone device as well? Yeah, we're working on a, a smartphone version of it as well. Yep. The goal is that it's going to synchronize across all devices. So if I wake up in the morning and I foolishly left my phone next to my bed, I try to not do that. I normally leave it in another room. But if I had, I try and open up Facebook or whatever, that the bear will greet me and say, hang on, do your yoga first before you get into those kind of distracting apps. And the same thing throughout the workday that after I've done the three hours of morning routine, I've got what's called the super Pomodoro mode where I, I have four 50-minute blocks where everything except my key work URLs, say I'm a, a product manager slash programmer. And so mm. some websites are productive for me, but Facebook definitely isn't. And essentially I can only use the websites that I've labeled as being productive. And then if I have this idea that I'd like to use a different website, it won't let me. And the only way that I can actually get access is if I go and ask my wife to put in the password. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. So it doesn't lock you out altogether. It just limits your, let's call it destructive time, the time where you're going to be unproductive and yeah, obviously you're going to be doing something that you don't want to be doing in that time. Yeah. 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 So I, I pre-commit the night before and say that I've got it locked in that there are certain work tasks that I want to do. And essentially, if I can do four of those 50-minute Pomodoros, I get a lot done in that time. And by having that pre-commitment, I've still got 10-minute breaks where I can go and do other things. I can look at, say, personal emails during the 10-minute break. But for the 50-minute Pomodoro, I'm focused on what I should be doing 
on the key priorities. Oh, I'm a ta- I'm, I'm a, got an Italian background. That means tomato. In Italian. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it was originally wasn't it an Italian guy who had a, a special a kitchen timer in the shape of a tomato. Yeah, that's how it originated. Yeah, so. Mm. <laughs> can you tell us right because i'm into running i'm training for my first marathon like i said before and i find it so beneficial when i'm exercising it doesn't have to be running it can be any form of exercise but running is running is awesome for the feeling you get afterwards and what, what i find is that it actually helps me throughout the day if i do it mm. in the morning it actually helps calm my mind and i'm a better performer throughout mm. the day and I'm more efficient, so I get mm-hmm. things done a lot faster. I tend to stay calm. I don't get as aggro or frustrated over things that might normally frustrate me. Mm. Can you relate to this? And if so, like, give me some experiences for yourself. Yeah, I can definitely relate to it. I find that for me, if I don't do a certain amount of exercise, that I tend to have very unpredictable energy levels. I find that if I when I first wake up, even if I get eight hours sleep, I'm normally not that energizer buddy style. I'm, I'm normally a little bit tired, but if I do the yoga and the hit and I go for a run as well as part of the morning routine, if I do that, I normally feel pretty energetic throughout the day. But the other thing too, is that I do tend to have a dip in the afternoon, which is apparently there's some evolutionary research that the early humans were at risk of dehydration in the afternoon. And so we, we tend to want to sleep at that time to avoid dying of dehydration, even though it's not really a risk these days. But what I find is that if I do little micro workouts throughout the day, that that also keeps my energy levels high. So what I'll do is every 15 minutes, I'll do say 20 squats or 20 push-ups, okay. something like that. And that tends to, to help me to keep those energy levels consistent. And I completely agree as well about the mood as well, that I feel much, much better. I'm nicer to everyone if I've done my, my morning exercise. As That's well worth, as it's worth the investment. Yeah. Yeah. And you can start small as well. I think even a five minute run is better than nothing. That's right. Yeah. And you don't have to do a marathon or anything like that. So yeah, anything <laughs> is better than nothing. So yeah. 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 I reckon there's probably a sweet spot that if you do maybe probably five hours per week of cardio exercise where you're breathing at a pace where you can still hold a conversation, but you, you couldn't, yeah, it's still, it's not like you're walking. It, it's where you can feel your heart and you're sweating a little bit. Yeah. I reckon that, that amount of exercise is pretty manageable in terms of fitting it into the day but it still has big impacts. Mate, you're in the Alps at the moment. Hmm. So for our overseas listeners or even interstate listeners, so you're in Victoria. Where hmm. are you? Campula or Falls Creek or one of those? Falls Creek. Yeah. Falls Creek. So nice snowfields. How long are you there for? I'm there for a month. It's my little self-indulgence to, to so you're here. To, and... You can do everything you need to do for the next month where you are, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've still got Wi-Fi here. I can I'm basically I'm working in the morning, going for a nice cross country ski in the afternoon, and then working a little bit in the evening. Really and with your, lifestyle. So what keeps you busy, mate? I mean, obviously you're working on this app. Is this 
this keeps you flat out all the time or have you got other things that you're doing in the background as well? What's a typical day? Yeah, Focus Bear is mostly a side project for me at the moment. I've got a a day job as well, which is essentially another business that an SMS plugin that allows businesses to communicate with their customers. Yep. And I recently, I, I started that in 2018 and in February this year, I sold that business to Message Media, which is a, a Melbourne-based SMS company. Yep. So now I'm, I'm an employee of Message Media, okay. still basically doing the same thing I was doing before, but getting paid a salary for it. Which are, you is... happy, are you happy with the result? Because obviously you would have built it up and hmm. would have been a big decision, I'd imagine. Yeah, it was a, a big decision in terms of letting go of a certain amount of control, but the financial result was really good for me. And the the experience working here is good for me as well. I talked about how I thrive when I can work with other people. And now I've got another 500 colleagues who I can bounce ideas off. And if I have any questions, I can reach out to people in say marketing or technology. Yep. They've solved most of the problems that I could ever face. Uh, excellent, mate. Where can people get the app? Can they download it at the moment if they've got access to Mac from iTunes? Yeah. 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 The app is downloadable from the website, which is focusbear.io. And if they put their email in there, I can notify them when the Windows version is ready. Hopefully. Focusbear.io. So we'll put that in the notes as well. Beautiful. Mm. Cool. Uh, I'm conscious for time. So I just want to ask you one more question before I let mm-hmm. you go, if you're happy with that. So yep. what does it mean to be limitless for you? Mm. Yeah, I think there's two thoughts that I have around that. One is the concept of limiting beliefs that I talked about earlier, The I guess similar to those dogs that get electrocuted when they try and reach out of their cage or the elephants that have a, a string tied around their neck when they're a baby. And then even though they, when they're bigger, they theoretically could break out of it. They don't because they're conditioned that it's not possible for them to do it. And I think that's really, that that's been prevalent in my life in the past that I've had experiences in the past where I felt like I haven't been able to do something for me uh, there's been things around being able to do practical work. I've always, my grandfather was a carpenter basically. And my name actually means carpenter in Dutch, my last name, but I've had this limiting belief that I'm not good at hands-on skills. And so I never really tried, but what I've found to help with that is to to combat that and to look at okay, I'm not very good at it right now, but what can I do to get better? So I enrolled in a, a Cert two in carpentry at TAFE. Didn't quite finish it. I, I got two thirds of the way through before I ended up moving to Melbourne and then wasn't able to continue with it. But I, I can now, I can do some things. I, I'm but capable basic, of, yeah. yeah. You yet. wouldn't trust me to build a house, but. <laughs> not yet anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm getting there. And I think that's really key to, to look at letting go of, that idea that it's not possible for me to do anything and instead look at, okay, I'm, I'm bad now, but I can get better. Yeah. And then the other aspect to it as well is even though it is possible to get better at everything, recognizing that it's probably best for me professionally to focus on my strengths and find people who can fill in my weaknesses, not do it in a way where I'm so bad at some of those weak traits that 
I'm completely hopeless and that I can't even delegate because I'm so clueless about it. But to spend as much time as possible on the things that I am really naturally good at. No, that's good, mate. Uh, Look, where can people contact you if they want to reach out to you or maybe on my LinkedIn? LinkedIn, yeah. Mm. Cool. Yeah. No worries. Well, mate, thank you so much. And I wish you all the best with the app. And I hope, yeah, it just goes gangbusters for you. It's something that I'll download as well. I've got a Mac, so I'll be able to put it on my Mac here. And um, cool, yeah, can you open now? Good. That's a start because obviously, for me, working from home sometimes it can be quite challenging, and sometimes it's okay. Other times, it's very you get distracted very easily. Um, I've got a couple of kids as well, so there are times where they're running around and. You know, well, that might come in. So, yeah, it'll keep me honest. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, good luck with the marathon. Two weeks yeah, to go. Two weeks out. So, we'll, uh, I'm actually going to see a physio today. I've, I've been having a, a few issues with cramping. So, hopefully, that, that all gets sorted and um, he can mm-hmm. iron me out. Yep. And I'll just get me through the next two weeks. So I can finish it. So, that'll be good. Awesome. Good luck. I'll let you know how I go. Good on you, man. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe and also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.